Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I have, returning to the studio after a long hiatus. No, that's not even it at all. You were on an adventure. Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork, known in San Diego as the Slayer, I'm told. The big cheese. The big cheese of San Diego. <laughs> Justin has returned to the podcast. At, the game from, of the Slayer yeah. with the big cheese. Yeah. Uh, Dan Vetter our producer Sorry. extraordinaire, is also here on the podcast. This is the Welcome Back episode for Justin. Um, you have been away. In fact... I just walked in, handed you a coffee, and then we started recording the podcast. I haven't seen you. Yeah, we didn't want to. We wanted to save it for the podcast. We wanted to save it for the podcast. So let me say, welcome back. Good to see you guys. It's good to uh, good to see you back here. Um, We didn't clean up for you. I'm sorry. That's okay. I uh, hope the welcoming mess felt good. It looks appropriate. It looks like what the studio should look should look like. That's good. And um, piles of suitcases. Orders ready to send out. Piles of shame prints Just, unsorted from yeah. conventions. D- dings and scratches uh, print piles. And oh my gosh. But I will say that you and I have had very different experiences. I'm fresh from a show also. And I um, cannot, which I'm really excited to hear about because it's like a, a show in Winnipeg that I haven't been to. That's right. Happen. The first time in 15 years, the NASFIC, which is like the North American Science Fiction uh, Association, held a convention here in Winnipeg. I can't wait to tell you all about it. The difference between our two um, conventions, I'm sure, is great. A great gulf. I was going to say I couldn't. I think they're completely on opposite ends of the spectrum. If there is a spectrum, yeah. (laughs) One of those spectrums could be attendance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, when the doors open at PemBeCon, don't people run to grab the exclusives? PemiCon. Pemi. Pemi. Sorry. Sorry. PemiCon. So you're you're mistaking the idea of the Pemina Trail, which you could name it after, for Pemmican, a joke at the expense of indigenous people, which is what they thought they'd try instead as the name of their community. Yeah, I was confused about that. Yeah. Oops, <laughs> I think Pemmican. is what the only thing we call it. For the dear listener's sake, I think it's important that you know that Justin had a crazy idea while he was away. He decided that what he would do in our text thread related to Super Pulp Science is just send texts that were prompts for conversations we'd have later. He's far too busy when he's over there to like converse with us like a human person instead he just would pepper our text thread with str- things that didn't really make sense at the yeah, moment just these will. little little <laughs> because, esoteric yeah, especially kernels at like a three four day show you kind of forget what happens on the thursday or like that story that you want to tell on the friday gets overshadowed by the craziness of saturday and sunday so i thought this way would be kind of yeah the breadcrumbs of the stories that i wanted to retell so then i started doing that too and when i was looking through them again recently i realized yours when i imagined san diego comic-con i imagined like grand adventures with each of yours and with knowledge of how pemicon went my prompts look like sad list it's like a it's like a breakup letter almost as a poem I think I can picture your minds were, were moving at very different speeds in those moments. <laughs> very different. You know what I mean? Yes. Like Greg had a long time to think about I, what he was going to type. But I tried not to type too much. I tried not to type too much. So, dear listener, um, if you are just joining us for the very first time and you've managed to get through this um, 
wild ramble justin uh dan and i are creative professionals and we make up stuff for a living we write we uh illustrate we hold events we do all this kind of stuff we try to use our creativity uh in a positive way and it's part of our job one aspect of that job is to go to public events like conventions san diego comic-con in the comic book world is one of the largest entertainment expo and conventions but it has a long history of being focused on comics which had recently been eclipsed by hollywood so i'm really interested to hear how the absence of hollywood stars and the absence of hollywood at this san diego comic-con had an effect for vendors i've heard some interesting things from other sources so i'm going to cross reference with you and then um the other kinds of conventions you can go to are what you might classify as a literary convention, meaning that it's more focused on panels and learning, and you'll have a schedule with lots of different rooms that you can attend. It's like taking university for three days or four days, in this case for Pemicon, uh, from authors, writers, scientists in this case. And then there's also a dealer's room, and a, a, it's just one other thing that you can do. San Diego Comic-Con, big Comic-Con, sort of make the dealer's room, the vendor space, the beating heart of the event. You have to pass through it, thread your way through it on the way to everything else. Uh, literary shows usually do the opposite. They make the dealer's room, the vendor space separate from that so that it's just one other thing that you can attend. Um, and that makes for a very different sort of traffic flow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us about that traffic flow. <laughs> what I can, I'm, I mean, like, what are we going to talk about first? Are we talk yeah. about PemiCon or, or San Diego. I oh, think I want to. I'm going to. I have some direct questions of Justin. And last week, did you guys talk about Icon? The did, I yeah. missed. Yeah, we did. We did. Oh, an I'm excited Icon to hear about that. Yeah. So you'll have to listen to that. Yeah. And then once you've listened to that, you can provide a counterpoint for Icon because you had a good show there too. Yeah. So yeah. We have lots. But so let's talk about setup at both the shows. Yeah. First. So let's for a person who doesn't know what it's like to travel from Canada to the U.S. to do a show. Let's lay that out in brief, the amount of preparation you have to do ahead of time, which I think is often overlooked when people are doing creative stuff. Oh, I'll just book a plane ticket, throw my stuff in my suitcases, and hooray, I'm yeah. at a show. Tell us what the reality is like. So at least six weeks before the show, I need to have my... I have canvases, I have foil printing, and I have normal digital printing. Canvas printing takes the longest, so I need to make sure seven, six weeks before the show, all my files are in and that is started and it's going to be, and it arrived like the day before the show started, so there was a bit of delay, so it arrived like just in time. Uh, the foil printing, specialty printing, that needs, yeah, at least four weeks as well. So wait, six, seven weeks out and it was still just in time. Just in time, yeah. Um, and then like digital printing, I, I typically print on 12 by 18 cover stock, which is relatively easy to get and relatively easy to do. There's not a lot that I don't have trim or bleed or anything. It's a standard sheet. So I can get away with that like two weeks before the show. It is, it's a large quantity. So they really don't like me doing it too last minute, but, um, I sent most of it a month before the show. And then I had some last minute pieces that I sent, like even a couple days before the show and everything and was done in time. I'll just interrupt to say for someone listening, wondering how to do this, he doesn't have trim or bleed by design. He's separated oh, yeah. the files to make sure that they fit this common paper size so yeah. that there's nothing extra for the printer to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, the lead up. There's also with San Diego, with every Comic-Con, there's usually some kind of um, 
like an exhibitor package and portal that you get to. You can go and find um, your booth and set up information and load in information. All this great info for you as an exhibitor is somewhere on that site. In San Diego, there's a login to access all that. And then there's another login to access a bunch of other stuff for your California tax stuff and to, to like check off that you're not selling adult material and to check off that you're not going to have height variant. Like, so there's two portals for that. And then there's a third portal for moving your stuff in and out of the show and how to do that correctly and how to arrange all that. Now, I grew up in the era of Skylanders. Both of my kids like Skylanders. So every time you say portal, I imagine a wonderful like, <laughs> adventure moment where you get to go through a portal to no, a new exciting land. But imagine I- a Warren, like a maze of logins and passwords and dead links and angry emails asking you to find that one page buried six pages deep in that one portal that you were in to check. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> So, so administrivia was challenging many weeks ago. It's, it's messy. It's getting, it seems to getting messier. I seem to recall when I first started doing the show in 2017, there was just one portal. And now there's three logins, separate pages to, to check everything off. Is this because off, so. more and more people are taking a slice? I'm not sure. I feel like they, San Diego Comic-Con is big. It's robust. They hired some consultants to help streamline things. And the consultants were like, we're going to build you this infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where everybody has to create a login so we can get their information. And then we'll make them <laughs> do all this stuff. What are you doing here? I have been waiting for you. Oh, we've been looking all over for you. Are you all right? Yes. I'll take you home. No, take me to the mine. So this is the lead up. This is now this, you have not even packed up. your yeah. suitcase yet. You haven't even decided which socks you're bringing. Yeah, yeah. So that was like the weeks leading up to it. So I couldn't really take a sigh of relief until probably like a week and a half before the show. Everything had been sent off. Most things had been delivered. If they hadn't been delivered, they were like a couple days away. Everything was sorted. Most people I know who travel that week before the show is when their anxiety begins. For you, that was... I finally ended, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so... What about the four weeks before PemiCon? What was that like for you? Well... Was I, it on your mind I, <laughs> at all? I had received an email saying, you'll receive all of your important information on the following date. And that date was one day before the show was supposed to Perfect. happen. Because it was local, because it was happening here in my own city, that did not worry me. If I was flying there, that would have bothered me. But because, you know, I can, I can make anything work in my home city. And I know where everything is, and I know how to fix it, and I know who to talk to. And I knew, frankly, I knew the um, convention center you had just been at the convention center who were organizing that show so i provided them some information some phone numbers and some advice while i was there so that didn't worry me so much but the complete absence of advertising for it worried uh, you worried me Mm -hmm. the fact that when i would mention it to other science fiction aficionados that i knew and you know like when you're a science fiction writer and you're a big comics nerd it's everyone you know should know about the science fiction convention coming in but nobody had any idea not a single i had no idea until you told me yeah and you're a reporter yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, I, you know, I pitched that as a story to my boss, and I said we should cover this. This is the first time it's come to Canada. It's a big deal. And I said, okay, well, go and see what you can find. And I went and poked around there on the first day. I couldn't find much. I found a few signs taped off, but I couldn't find where anything was happening. Um, it seemed very spread out. But it is. Uh, we should qualify that there was like kind of two groups at work here, right? There was like a local group that helped organize it, but also people who came from out of town to help with this. Okay, so pardon my somewhat ignorance related to how the whole show runs so i can give you my breakdown as far as i understand on the outside but it's a little more nuanced than this i am been told at length but when world con the world science fiction uh, convention happens it happens every year and it's usually in north america but on the and each of those conventions happen in a different city every year and the different cities and communities bid on those. It's like the Olympics, right? Sorry. It's like the Olympics, except... Um, Although I don't think anybody's bidding for that anymore. That's right. <laughs> there goes Justin. Sure. Apologies, yeah. So that was um, jumping ahead to the end of the show. I ship everything back to the studio from the convention floor. Ah. And so I knew I was probably going to get a call about um, like customs and arrangements for that. So I filled out like my commercial invoice yesterday, and they were just following up to make sure that the business is going to be open on Monday for them to drop everything off. Bring it all back. But it's sorted. Deep breath. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to have a bit of a edit salad to put that Sorry. in order there, but I Sorry think, about that. Well, no, that's for the dear listeners' sake, we were briefly it's interrupted. Gritty and real. That's what happened. Final details of San Diego Comic Con yeah. came crashing down on Justin. <laughs> but look at that smile. Look at that's the smile of a man finished a great yeah. endeavor. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so what I was saying was Worldcon is normally in North America, like typically, but different cities and organizations and local science fiction groups and fandoms will bid. And just like the Olympics, just like the Olympics. And it's a big deal. And they bring in thousands of people. And many of those people for Worldcon travel from outside of the country. A lot of people come from uh, other countries to attend Worldcon. So it's it's a big deal. I want to add that this is the World Science Fiction Society is the overall organization who is also the organization that creates the or gives out the Hugo Awards. Correct. Correct. Which is the biggest award in science fiction. Yes. If you win a Hugo um, that is the ultimate uh, yeah. um, accolade. In and I will say that one highlight for me of uh, Pemicon was there was a Hugo that went to space. The so one year they gave oh, away cool. a Hugo from the International Space Station. So this little miniature Hugo that they had, this, which is a silver rocket. Just imagine a silver 50s style sci-fi rocket, like 50s science fiction style sci-fi rocket. Um, space program didn't start till the 60s. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, was in the International Space Station, and they were letting people like see it and handle it, and like this has been to space, and this has been there, and so it was holding that little piece of history was kind of cool, yeah. um, and it prompted me to dig out a work of art that I once sent to the edge of space. Uh, I have this canvas that I took off the thing and rolled up, and the physics department of the school I was at, we used to launch this balloon to the edge of the atmosphere; it would explode. And then the physics students would calculate the descent trajectory and then try to retrieve the package. And so I wanted to send some artwork to space and back. That's cool. Anyway, I digress because I am a huge nerd. Um, We're explaining what the the overall. So every year it's in North America. So when it's somewhere else, it was in China this year. It will be in China in October. Yeah. Um, It was voted to go there. And this voting happens two years previously. So two years ago, people voted for it to be in China this year. And when the Worldcon is out of North America, 
they hold this Nazfic convention. For the people who don't want to travel overseas, right. basically. Okay. Right. And so it's like a... Your consolation con. Yes, con. <laughs> con, con. Consolation con. That is what they should really call good. it. So the organizers believed that there would be, you know, maybe 3,000 people might attend this show. But they a very a, dedicated yeah. group, right? Everybody, it's kind of like uh, like the anime crowd. Like, they're into it. They're really into their specific... Yeah, their specific thing. fandom. And there was between six and 800, depending who you talk to, there's between 600 and 800 so people who came quite. from out, oh, of, oh. out of the country yeah. Yeah. that traveled all the wow. way to Winnipeg to, see the sh- to be at the show. Um, and I believe those were basically the majority of the attendees oh, were no. these people who were from out of the country. And the local population did not, I think, know about it and so did not show up. Yeah, now, this seems like it was mishandled. This should have been a big event. Sounds like it. I was not on any of those committees, so I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that the people who ran the vendor area were very well organized. They were very well um, uh, able to manage the needs of their vendor space. They knew what was happening and where it was happening. They had never been to the city. They had done some careful research. That email, that aforementioned email that was happening a day before, included a little like picture plan of like, if you've never been to Winnipeg either, these are the things you should look for. And I don't know if they had someone on mm-hmm. the ground doing that or if they had someone in the convention center doing that. But it was, you know, this is what the entrance looks like. And this is where the loading bay is. And this is what I look like. So you can find me. And this is what this looks like. And it was, now, I've been, I live here and I do this convention circuit all the time. So I knew most of this stuff. But from an outside perspective, it was a for sure, you know, we often talk about how Icon is so well run and the Winnipeg Comic Con is so well run. This was one of those details that I think every convention should adopt. Like... a little picture uh, hunt to let you know that you're on the right track. And there were little things like that. If you see this desk, you're in the right place. Relax. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> That's good. Right? You've made it as far as this. There, it was really kind of funny. And it was, okay. it was. This sounds great, but I know for a fact both you and I do the same thing at every convention. <laughs> we park outside the convention center and we walk in until we find somebody who looks like they know what they're doing and yeah. we ask, okay, we're here, we're exhibitors, what do we do now? Yeah, we and never bring the army to the battleground until we've seen yeah, the battleground We ourselves. never read yeah. the PDFs they send us. We just always wander in and ask, where to now? How do we get our yeah. badges? And this is related to the idea that no plan <laughs> survives contact with the enemy, Dan, so... Even though they may have planned it all perfectly on the day, it could just mean that one semi-trailer is stuck in the loading dock and now the whole plan is sure, different, yeah. right? So you just have to go and make sure it's going to work. It's just a Joshua tree. Let's get out of here. How many people attended San Diego Comic-Con this year? <laughs> I don't know the, uh, the number count. Let's probably start it up. Oh, yeah. 50,000? Sure. More. 75,000? More. More. Let's ask Bing. I've switched to Bing, by the way. Oh, really? I'm not Googling anymore. Wow. You're a has-Bing? Oh, yeah, that's right. And they've incorporated AI chat into this. Oh, no. (laughs) How many people attended... What are you doing? Yes, I want it to be creative. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh. See, AI is ruining our podcast. So, how many people attended San Diego Comic-Con? 2023. Yeah. (laughs) It caught AI is ruining our podcast. 
that's responding to that. Oh, my God. Keep I'm going to see if I can Google it the old-fashioned way. So last year, the San Diego Comic-Con was still, um, you had to mask, you had to... Um, By the way, that was something at this con you had to do. You had to mask at, yeah, at uh, yeah. like PemiCon. That was a rule. Uh, I didn't bring that up as a negative because there were so many international guests. I guess so, I yeah, thought that's that that true, was a true. very smart... You I know. guess you're right. Yeah. And at San Diego as well, there was still quite a few people masked up. It was uh, it was definitely a good percentage of of customers or attendees. We also we had noticed. to show our vaccine status. Really? That's right, yeah. yeah. I haven't. Yeah. I don't even know where that is anymore. Yeah. Well, I had it on my phone. So. Well, luckily, <laughs> I could search my phone by my own. I just looked up in Manitoba. By the way, uh, dear listener, we were provided a QR code that right. linked to our vaccine status that we could show when going in and out of anywhere. It was like our vaccine passport. So I just looked up. Now that uh, speaking of AI helping things, now that you can search your camera roll based on things that are in the pictures i just described what i was looking for and it found it for me really yeah okay weird sorry my phone, phone says i can shake it to send feedback that wasn't working <laughs> so basically um it says here that the attendance at san diego comic-con has been capped by space constraints for several years and is reported to be around one hundred thirty thousand. so that's every year it's just 100 because it can't fit any more people there's in there. just no more people i uh, guess yeah, so yeah. there you go but was it like Compared, like, from your perspective, compared to previous years, busier, slower? It felt about the same as previous years. Yeah. There wasn't, uh, and I think that's, like, they cap it. It was, um, the show floor is always, uh, a, like, a fairly good sea of people. Um, from my booth, you can see we're, we're close to some, like, exclusive store. So there's always a lineup within sight of, like, people lining up to get... Uh, this year it was the dumpster fire booth. It was like these little enamel pins of a dumpster fire that's <laughs> smiling. And you can get like little vinyl toys of it. And every day people were lining up for those dumpster fire pins and toys. That's the state of the world right there. Yeah. They're really cute. I kind of wanted one. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Another one, um, Tamagotchis are back. People oh, were lining up for totally Tamagotchis. Yeah. Um, so... It's, uh, yeah, the show floor felt about, about the same. If you La don't know what Tamagotchi is, dear listener, it's a tiny digital device with a um, pixel animal that you have I may to feed have and one clean now. up after you may have one now. Oh. <laughs> the studio now has Did you a have one pet. as a kid? I, my sisters did, and I played with one. Uh, I never, yeah, it was never a big thing for me. I yeah. remember them. I remember, like, fiddling around with one for a bit, but I would never like owned a Tamagotchi. So uh, my friends and I started a rumor in our school that there was a code that you could put in that would poison the animal. Like, you know, <laughs> it was the time of death. the like Contra codes, right? We told right, people right. that if you like AABB select start a Tamagotchi, you could poison it. And so people wouldn't let us hold their Tamagotchis because they believed we had the death. Time. You had the instant death. <laughs> yeah. So it is cool. not true as far as I know. Um, yeah, the show floor was was on par with with other years. It was um, we we kept asking people about like what was what was going on with uh, the Hall H upstairs and Hollywood and everything like that. So it sounded like there was a lot less big panels to look forward to. You know, there wasn't the the DC panel and the Marvel panel where they're announcing things. Uh, Marvel still had a very big presence there. They were promoting the new Spider Man game. Um, so they had a big booth there and DC was still talking about some of its shows like the Harley Quinn show had a panel and stuff like talking that. Talking so about anything but the Flash or Blue Beetle. Yeah. 
What's nope. wrong with Blue Beetle? There was still Blue Beetle stuff was it? there. Yeah. Is there a controversy around that one? Oh, well, I just think it's on track to be the least profitable movie. It looks movie of so the generic. It does movie. very yeah. much so, yeah. But I just was I wondering. I like the Blue Beetle, but. I yeah. like Blue Beetle yeah. a lot, but it's like someone said, ooh, you know what kids like? They like Spider-Man. You know what kids like? They like Iron Man. What if we made yeah. those two characters the same character and put yeah. them in this movie? And have them wreck a bus. Just like, you know, they always have to wreck a bus in these movies. I don't they have to get public transit. <laughs> it <laughs> looks like they asked your Bing AI, hey, yeah. build us a trailer <laughs> for a Blue Beetle oh my movie. Goodness. That's right. All right. Um, so show floor looked, looked about the same. I'm, uh, yeah, Can I tell you what five. I heard hmm. from outside through the socials, social channels? Many actual comics guests saying this was their greatest year ever as a result of no Hollywood meant the number of people who had bandwidth left and money in their pocket left to go to comic book panels, buy original comic art, buy and support indie creators. Most of those creators reported like two or three times what they would normally do at a San Diego Comic Con as a result of their not being Hollywood there. This was also, yeah, my best show of all time right so, really yeah oh that's interesting so so yeah. take away the celebrities signing autographs because that's yeah. really what you're talking about I mean, yeah. i know they do panels and stuff but they sit there i've seen them they sit there like an assembly line basically signing all these things charging so hundreds to, of dollars yeah each one. yeah for sure so take that way that people have money to spend on on other more meaningful things yeah yeah that's interesting more meaningful to us I'm well sure it's I, quite I, meaningful <laughs> to those actors especially <laughs> considering that uh none of them are working anymore by choice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're well, I am. I don't know about you two I scabs, pro but union. I'm pro-union. Pro I don't want to. No, I'm a, I can wait for there to be other stuff. Yeah, so that was definitely a, a topic of conversation on the floor, talking about, yeah, the, the writer strike and the actor strike and what that meant. And, um, yeah, it came up often. Congratulations on your best show ever. Thank you. That, that's uh, a, quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it was. Um, I also, I had three helpers so shout out to angel ian and darcy i had three boxers with me at the booth um so we to like, protect your investment and all like just to with three people it was manageable but we were always kind of like stressed like stretched to the limit like of like running around with four people it was it was much more manageable and we we had a great it was, yeah, it was the right amount of people. Because I've done a three-person show with you yeah. at San Diego, and that was insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you mean James, a year one. So was it, would you say that, and this came off a conversation at Pemicon I had about conversion. Uh, we sp I spoke to uh, Matt Drudry of um, Bay Press, Press, and mm -hmm. he was there, and he said that something about the Pemicon customers is that they were much more literary-focused. He did he had much better conversion. Every, one or, every second or third customer would buy something from him. Oh, here's did that happen uh, at yours? Would you have better conversion, or do you not pay attention to that? I guess like, like for so interactions, yeah, like how many easier to turn somebody like, oh, okay, I'll buy that kind of thing. Like easier to convert them to a sale or um, I like it's pretty like the percentage is pretty high. If somebody stops, looks through the portfolio, spends time at the booth, they're usually walking away with something or coming back. I'm at the point I've hit that point at, at San Diego where a lot of the people who. Uh, the attendees, they grandfather in as well, which I didn't realize. Yeah. Attendees grandfather in at 
San Diego Comic Con. Way to keep your event closed off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, don't get me started on closed off events, dude. Let's come back to that. Yeah, Bring that up later. Um, so it's a lot of people start the conversation with we've bought from you before or we've bought in the past. We're here to see what's new. So I'm definitely I'm at that point where the return customer is a big percentage. So I think of attention at these shows as sort of three gates sometimes. So you tell me. It, if this uh, applies to you, I, I think I'm lead. This is a leading question because I think I know it applies to you. But I think of gate one, they noticed you. Like you yeah. can see the person, see your booth, and they're interested. Gate two is they've stopped. And they're still far away, but they've stopped to like take in the backdrop and the banner and the art that's on offer. And gate three is they approach the booth, right? By the time they're flipping through the portfolio, their interest is clear. And you don't actually have to do anything to sell, quote unquote, to them because they already have. Or at least you and I don't like to, yeah, at that point, right. push things. Yeah. I, I, and all I was trying to get at was even though you had your best year ever and the, the attendance is the same, that would seem to indicate that you had better conversion this year. Yeah, than better conversion. Years. But also people, I think, had more money in their pocket. Right. Yeah, because they, right. they didn't have to spend they it on these stupid on these uh, other things. And they had more time because Hall H lines usually take a whole day to wait in. There are people who spend the entire weekend in Hall H lines when yeah. they go to these things, right? Yeah. So, and s- go ahead. I've also, um, like, just at my booth in general, like, years ago when I was kind of, yeah, my products have, there's more expensive versions. Now I'm doing limited edition foils. I'm doing more canvases. I'm doing more larger format. Um, so there's um, there's higher price points. So And if I could uh, give, you a, give you a shout out and also cast shade on some others. Your limited edition foils are actually limited edition They're foils. actually hand-numbered what yeah. they are. Yeah, and the, and when they run out, Justin will be like, oh, no, I'm sure I had two left. I'm sure there's two. No, they're all gone, right? And when they're gone, he doesn't go, oh, let's just print some more, and no one will be able to tell. He says, I'll make some new art. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Seems um, oddly specific, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> I see you. Blood on the truck. What happened? I cut my hand, see? Wearing the, the business hat, it's um, like I absolutely love selling, selling my art and, and being at these shows. And at a certain point, you just like, we were, we were really busy just selling. People were buying like almost too many prints at a time. Like I'm selling, I have these like great price points where you can get nine prints at like a great deal. But if every year people are buying like seven to nine prints, how do you keep them coming? Like they, you don't want to oversaturate your market, right? There's only so much space people have on their wall and there's right. only so much attention they have. So rather that- than making more reasonably priced this, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm greedy here. Like more, like I want to make things special and more of an important purchase than like, oh, that's a great deal. I'm going to grab it all. Right. I want to make that one item um, particularly great so you're focused on on the one item rather than the bulk deal, right? I want to be more well, of that. And this is you. This is your artist heart yeah. combating your uh, business heart. Your artist heart wants people to recognize that the time and attention that you put into these is special and that just mass producing them is not totally of interest. It's somewhat necessary, but it's not really of interest and so you have started to add we both have started Mm -hmm. to add things into our catalog that are actually limited 
actually rare and when they're gone they're gone and they are for the people who really appreciate those one of one or those one of a hundred kind of things and we're not when we're talking about how much more expensive they are so this is going from the $20 price point to the $60 price point it's not mm -hmm. prohibitively expensive if you are on a budget right but it is it's not nothing money at that point you're not going to buy four or ten sixty dollar items right well, yeah some do yeah no it's it's true yeah um yeah i think i'd, I'd rather sell you know five canvases that somebody's going to hang on their wall and keep forever than 50 prints that may or may true. not yeah. end up on a wall or just go into the stack of the other prints they've bought that year yeah. um yeah trying to make those items a little bit more special a little and i love the the limited edition aspect what excites me most about that is the fact that once that's gone i can't keep just reprinting it yeah. and relying on that old work it forces me to make new things and grow and become a different artist um you can't just yeah keep selling that print from 2007 over and over and over again okay. like a comedian coming up with new material like a yeah. comedian yeah. yeah so um although his art is no joke <laughs> um speaking of allowing things to grow at their own pace naturally. I would like to take a moment and speak with some annoyance at how We're getting to shows the like, yeah. say, a Worldcon or a Keycon or a Pemicon tries to build their audience. This is by becoming a member of the society. This costs, you know, between two and three hundred dollars, depending on your conversion rate. And now you are a member of the society. And it's like a if, membership. Yeah, and okay. only if you are a member of the society can you then attend the event. Yeah, and oh. so they frame it. So, what this means is, someone who hears about this on the news or hears about it on social media, who looks up how to attend the show, wants to just come for a couple hours because they have a couple hours. Now they have to spend hundreds of dollars for those couple so of hours. So there wasn't like just a day pass? There were. Day pass was uh, $90. Yeah. Whoa. That's aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like San Diego Comic-Con isn't even that expensive, right? I don't so, think so, no. no. And What Icon, are you getting for this 90 exactly. Well, access to the panels. Like they had some good, pretty good speakers, I would say. And there was some excellent programming. Um, but I did, it did seem pricey to me for what you got, right? For Compared to what you get at other cons for less. Here's yeah. the thing. Right? It's 100% worth it to be a member if you're going to be there for the whole time. If you are going to be on site for four days, taking in this as a learning experience, visiting author talks, visiting scientists talking, visiting like, you know, working paleontologists talking about their craft and how that applies to how you could do it in fiction. There was a lot to learn, but you also were committing now four days of time. People don't have four days of time to make a $300 pass worth it. I don't think no. in the casual. And the other thing I will mention is I counted on my hands six people under the age of 18 there right there's the no entire event yeah. and one of them i brought you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> responsible for the creation of one of them right um, and so there is no new blood coming into a show like that yeah, there's no, no casuals right. so, now here's the flip side very slow show foot traffic wise but these were readers. Like typically in an event, in a show, I may have do 30% of my sales might be books and 70% will be art. I was going to ask about this. This is a complete this. flip of that. Yeah. 
70% books, 30% art. And of those books, these were people who would not buy one book casually. They would buy the whole stack of the entire, and I have a lot of books. And they would just say, okay, I, this looks interesting. I'll take this and 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 maybe this. And then I'd say, oh, well, one more is just $10. And then I'd say, okay, here's three more, right? <laughs> so these were Dream readers. Customer. So they were readers and they were interested in filling up their suitcases with heavy books to take home to read and peruse and think about and digest. So while it was show, while it was slow, f like as far as customers per hour, the individual customers were there to they were purchase. there to fill up their suitcases yeah. with stuff that they wanted. Let so. me ask you, when I think of a book convention, I don't think of particularly impressive displays. But when we look Correct. at your display, it is the ziggurat, as we lovingly call it on the podcast. So when I arrived... Did you get some sideways <laughs> glances? Uh, yeah, so when I arrived, I wheeled up everything and I met with the people who were running the show. and I, They're... I think pretty private. So I'm just not going to name them, not because they did anything wrong. I thought they did everything right. But um, sure. just, the, just the sense I got was that the way the committees run at their shows, they, they want to be kind of anonymous and just do their good work. So those people, if you are listening, I thought you did a great job running the vendor's table uh, and area. But when I came in, it was clear that they weren't used to the kind of setup I do because most people just put their books out on the table. And here I had a corner spot, I had three tables. So really it worked out to like five tables worth of space, the way it was organized. I couldn't even see him when I walked in there, to be right? honest, he was hiding behind his display. And because it's local- Did you have a back room? You know the rule, I could have, but you know the rules of a local show. Bring everything. Bring everything. So I brought everything. And as I was setting up the backdrops, the uh, person organizing the show floor said, oh, you have backdrops. And they said, how high do they go? I said, how high do you want them to go? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well, you know, if it's higher than eight feet, you were supposed to notify us. And I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll keep them Cap under eight, them feet, eight feet. No problem. Yeah. You know, they adjust. So yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll bring them down to eight feet. And they were still kind of a little nervous. And I was trying to figure out what was upsetting them about the whole notion. Because I was sort of on, a, on the cap. So it would be the first thing that you'd see when you came in. And I thought, like, this is a great spot. And they said, well... If you don't mind, I'm going to ask everyone who's in your shadow, like everyone who's behind you, who you're going to obscure, if they mind that those banners are there. And if they mind, I'm going to move you to a wall mm -hmm. so that you don't block anyone off. Is that okay? Like, that's the most reasonable, yeah. right? That's perfectly reasonable. And, and then you can counter. If you move me to that wall, I get to go as high as, as I want. As high as I want. Yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> yeah. That exactly right. And so they went around to the people who were going to be behind me and asked them, you know, he's going to put up a banner. Do you mind if he puts up a banner? Is that okay? I thought this was, like, so pleasant hmm. and so thoughtful to the other people. And because they also had this place to put me, we're just going to move you on this wall space. and We'll give them, those people, this space. There will be no fuss. And they did it before I set up. That's which was, great. Yeah. Which was also really Because nice. usually they wait until you're 90% done. That's right. And so, no, everyone said this is great. And uh, Robert Pasternak, uh, Knack, if you know him, uh, from Winnipeg, he was also there. He was like, no, let him, let him fly the flags. It brings people towards us. It's great. What was that? A meteor. One of the biggest. Were the other vendors like... Um, familiar faces like do 
like they're locals the only no? locals there was a couple of locals but it was mostly people that were not uh okay. known to me so that part was nice and then there was a bunch of people who were doing bids for other yeah there's a whole cons. section for other like people from africa people from all over the world coming wow. to for this these bids and that's like everybody who's part of this who's a member of this society can vote on the next location of the world con on the world con so, folks, yeah. the, the seattle bid was going unopposed for 2025 so right. it might be in seattle which might be a fun con yeah and i don't know if it was by accident or by design but they made sure they did not let anyone know when the voting took place oh no it's at oh. the next at, at the next world con so the you have to what they were doing the guy explained it to me the seattle okay, guy perfect um he said they were selling member shop memberships i.e tickets i think of these as tickets like a membership is a ticket to an event so they're saying memberships for world con in japan was it japan or china it was china, in china. um so they're selling tickets for that and encouraging people at that event to vote for seattle that's what they were doing at oh, our see. convention. So you had to buy tickets, go to Worldcon, and vote at Worldcon for Seattle to win. So if you really want to be part of a bureaucracy, you can join one of these science <laughs> fiction societies. But this is the, and this is what you're talking about as, as far as it being a closed off event. It's not very open. So what would you suggest they do differently? Because they are like KeyCon and this NASPIC are are imitating Worldcon, which is large enough that they can do this. Yeah. They can have a membership. It's a worldwide yeah. organization. They can get enough people, but at this level, the local level, you're not going to get enough people at your event. So what should they do differently? 12 and under get in free. That's a standard in Winnipeg. (laughs) That's just a standard. Yeah, but that's a great way to do it. But the other thing to do would be very simply to recognize if what you want to do is have um, a group of committees that are going to run things and plan the programming and do that carefully and make those voting members, right? If you care enough and you're, you're, be a voting member. Great. Yeah. Then have a casual price point, right? The voting member is supposed to give you power within the organization. People who just want to visit, don't in, they're not interested in power in the organization. Have a $20 ticket, have a $30 ticket, have a free, make it free for everyone to attend. And only people with full memberships can attend the keynote. I feel like I should get like a swag bag or a free book right. or something along with that. That's a pretty expensive ticket just to get access to a convention. It's an initiate level, right? Yeah. It's like, here's the opening. Um, uh, my favorite YouTube channel does this with their, like, get them a chance to see what it's like, right? Because they're not going to just blindly pay that money, especially here. Uh, but also, the other issue around it is marketing, which is something that San Diego does not need. They are a, a worldwide yeah, event. They, Everyone, they're going to sell out every People want to be there, yeah. You have people no problem uh, getting selling tickets to San Diego Comic-Con, whereas here, this is a new event. It's for, it's, first of all, it's not going to come back, so people, you have to build an audience. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. And so you have to um, let people know that it's happening, and so the marketing becomes an issue. Uh, but I, it's, it's so difficult to market these kinds of events. You don't even know where to go. The, our advertising industry is in such a mess right now. Yeah, for sure. You have no idea what's, what advertising is effective, how you're going to reach your audience. Social media enough is not enough. No, it's They not. were just counting on their Facebook posts and their Twitter posts to reach their audience. That is not going to do it. I'm sorry. Those companies are a mess right now. Yeah. Uh, I would not count on that. I would go, if it were me, I would go more traditional, uh, bus benches, <laughs> uh, billboards. That kind of stuff is not that expensive these days. Mm-hmm. And you would reach a large amount of people just by having that be visible. Well, the other side of it is these were readers too, right? Right. And so, I was at an event at the Millennium Library, two blocks away. So on the Saturday, I taught 25 kids how to make comics. That's cool. For 90 minutes. It was amazing. The uh, convention that is doing a great job of all those things you're talking about, the Prairie Comics Festival, shout out to Samantha Pico uh, for arranging 
me to go and do outreach for on behalf of that festival at the library for young people where it was free for them to attend, mm-hmm. right? The library, full, by the way, of books, had no <laughs> idea this convention was happening one and a half blocks away. Oh, wow. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a problem, yeah. Right? There wasn't even a poster for, uh, like, this is a reader's convention, and the readers of the city who love to consume books and books and books did not even know it was happening. Yeah. So I think you have to know who your people are and know where they are and then go to those places and let those people know. And have, especially if you're going to ask people for money, have value associated to that. Yeah. Like have actual value associated to that ticket price that is not like, well, come in here and now you're one of us. That's not value. No, and it's, it's people are just not going to trust that right off the bat. Like you have to build the trust over several mm-hmm. years. A one-off event. Like, I mean, sure, you could you could build on the on the strength of the World Science Fiction Society. That will have some relevance here, but you have to let people know. Like, it was huge. Like, people. I put, speaking of social media, I put a little post where I was, like, in front of the banner for yeah. the World Science Fiction Society. Like, people went crazy. Like, people I knew, like, my other reader friends were like, oh, my God, where are you? What city are you in? <laughs> They're like, just assuming that you've traveled for exactly. this. Yeah. yeah. Right? That was sad. That was a sad indictment of the reach that... Um, communities believe they have versus the reality and you have to um, you have to as if I'm some authority on this Uh, in my humble opinion if you're going to have an event that's going to take place over days you have to have a way in which people can check it out for an hour on the first day or two to see if they want to come back the day after by counterpoint the weekend before we were at Icon my kids came the first day to Icon to they were like we'll help you set up that was a lie. They just wanted to be at Icon. Yeah, right? of course. So they came to Icon. They were there for like an hour and a half. They came running back to say, we have to come for the whole weekend. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. They were handed a schedule that was like young people friendly. They knew what was there. And I said, okay, great. How much, how much is this going to cost <laughs> the bank <laughs> of dad? And they're like, no, it's included in our ticket price, dad. That's the best part. We can do this, do this, see these movies, do this stuff, go. It's all part of our regular pass. How right? many free Gundam kits were there available for? thousand. Yeah. Right? So what I'm saying is they came back every day. And they bought food from the vendors. They bought stuff from the other attendees. They were there spending their own money, right? Their own budgeted summer money on every other booth as a result of this quote-unquote free programming. The added value. I was all in. I was like, yeah, you can go see all that free stuff, right? And you Mm. want to spend your allowance on these other things? What a great three days. There was nothing comparable to that at this convention. Let me see you as you really are. What do you want? What are you doing? We are repairing our ship to leave your world. We need your help. Things I really liked about it, though, is when the show was done, by the way, I mean show, I mean when the vendor area closed, they were still programming at six, from 5 o'clock all the way to 8 o'clock. So rather than disappear, I stayed and went to a number of these panels. Well, I think that's to, true of most conventions. We just are usually, we usually dead to the world. Yeah, by... dead to the world. But most of the conventions are that we're at, they're usually pointed at 
promotion of a product, even if they pretend to be a discussion about something. It's sure. everybody's new book is like what they're all about. This one really was or had uh, the constituent parts of people who were ultra knowledgeable about the topics they were discussing, sharing that knowledge and fielding questions from an interested group of people in the halls. And it really was, it felt like being at school. Now, if school could have been the history of automata in mythology literature, which is one of the ones I attended, yeah. uh, you know, That's almost like a, right up here, a two hour yeah. session where they cited their sources and showed all the different places clockwork people have showed up in literature and mythology. I could not have been more excited. And same with all the rest of the people there. But, like, casuals are not going to come to that. Well, they don't know what it is until they sit down and experience right. it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's exactly and That right. was a result of, of Hollywood kind of pulling out of the San Diego as well. Somebody was saying that all the smaller um, panels were way more packed than usual, right? Like, yeah. all those indie bookmakers, all those new-time comic makers, like, they were getting the the crowds at their panels that were usually, you know, kind of spottily attended. And I heard a couple of people, we were talking about how Scott Ford did uh, his Kickstarter for Hologram Hunters and had an end on the convention date. Mm -hmm. A few people that I was following uh, that were at San Diego Comic-Con did that also. But they started their Kickstarter campaigns at San Diego. Mm -hmm. And by day one of San Diego, with just people backing it as San Diego attendees, cross their finish lines within 10 hours. Wow. People who are, and the, what they were responding by saying, their most uh, repeated comment was, well, I would normally spend this money on an autograph, or I'd normally spend this money on a ticket with, you know, to see a so-and-so, or to get my photo taken with, you know, a Doctor Who. But since I'm not, I'm going to back this other thing. You know, yeah. I'm going to support the community. And so, you know... Seems like uh, San Diego did just fine without Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. See if Hollywood does okay <laughs> without San Diego. San Diego. <laughs> well, and let's face it, San Diego is one of the few shows that still calls itself a comic. They trademarked it for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> right. There were. I did want to bring up. There was a note on my phone about this, and I've, I've, what I started calling them in my head. There were quite a few number of hollow booths, oh. and what I mean by that is, some company with a lot of money and not a lot of product or creativity buys a huge spot on the floor just to promote one thing and not like not promote it with passion or gusto just like we have a big presence at the San Diego Comic-Con and we have the one thing so they'll have like this 10 by 20 corner booth with a a huge Die sublimation um, cloth backstand that's stretched across this huge wireframe, um, and like pamphlets of it along the booth, and then four guys sitting on their phones. They just paid for a billboard. They, right. they basically paid for a billboard and. What is, like, can you give us an example of a product that they were selling? Uh, this one was for. It looked like just a graphic novel. Um, but they weren't was, actually selling it there. They were just like no, they weren't robot? selling it there. They were just promoting it there. They had like posters for it or something. So maybe it was coming. Wow, um, that does seem like a. And waste there was of money. another one for it looked like kind of like a, like a web comic reader of some kind. Like download the app, you can read comics for free, like a webtoon competitor kind of thing. 
but the booth just was like this huge corporate billboard with nothing to it other than. Well, I guess that's what it is, right? At a certain point, when you're playing with but, that okay, kind of money, so you can here's just write my... off that as an advertising expense and take your twenty-five thousand dollars that you spent on your booth and just throw it away. But my my problem with that, my beef with that is. San Diego Comic-Con is so hard to get into because no, it's, you save so much money to grandfather in. So if you're getting like a $1,000 booth, if you rebook that booth for next year, you save like $500 and something. Like it's, it's a substantial savings. So no, you're an artist. This is like, yeah. you know, yeah. So nobody, even if like, ah, this wasn't a great year, but it's extremely hard to get in a booth at Comic-Con. And we are constantly surrounded on the road by really talented artists and bookmakers and oh, creatives yeah. that are like just dying to get a booth at this show. And so it really, yeah, it, it, it hurts me to see so much of it taken up by like just these hollow booths that like, you know, like could be. Like most things in life that I enjoy, this reminds me of Star Trek. And there's a moment in Strange New Worlds in season one where Uhura, Uhura is, uh, explains that, oh, yeah, getting into Starfleet was easy, but she doesn't know if she wants to stay. And Spock looks at her and says, like, for some people, this is their life's ambition, mm -hmm. their dream, the only thing they've ever wanted. So if this isn't the only thing you've ever wanted and you stepped over thousands of people who want it to be here, maybe you should be somewhere else, right? I mean, it's a great plot point because we don't want her to be somewhere else. We know she shows <laughs> up in the original series. We want her to stay. But uh, that's, that's it, right? Like, why are you there if you're not going to give it your all? This is a place where well, someone like Chasing Artwork can give it their all. Yeah, maybe, but that's just their bad marketing decision right they just don't know what to do with the space they know they need to be there they know that the yacht their audience is there they just don't know how to engage with that audience and uh and that's a shame but and you also don't like the big bank booths at, at cons either. you don't like the royal bank stuff either. Oh, God. that yeah that, that one kind of really stuff. struck me as but what about as like car i've seen car dealers uh, yeah, with, a, with a big yeah. like they they like paint a a car to look like Jurassic. Well, they had one at Jurassic Park Jeep one year. I don't yeah. remember. Something like that. At least try. At least, yeah. like, you know, they're tipping their hat to fandom. <laughs> You're going to paint it like a Jurassic you know, a Jurassic Jeep, I'm in. All right. Right? Yeah. But if you're just like, this is the new Toyota Corolla. Yeah. Want one? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Right? And so what a lot of these booths are after is um, when you get your San Diego badge, it has like a little, um, little chip reader thing in it. And attached to that is my name, my age, my address, and my email. And so you go to a lot of these booths, and they'll have something free to you. There's a free lanyard. There's a free sticker. There's a free – you just have to tap your badge, yeah. and we will give you a free See our episode whatever. titled Free Lanyard. Free wow. Lanyard. Yeah. They've really streamlined that process. Yeah. yeah. So you're going around just giving away your information to these big companies in order for this, like, free lanyard. And, yeah. Oh, I totally make a fake profile so I could just – You can't, though. Oh. You, can't, you can't get access to your badge without getting – your, your, it has to be whatever you get. It has to be your real email address yeah. so they can email you the ticket. And yeah. if your ID doesn't match what you put in when you get there, they're not giving you that badge. Oh, yeah. gotcha. They yeah. gotcha. Yeah. There was a, oh, who was it? A famous author. Man, this was a story from the year that we went, that first year we went together for your booth. Uh, I was behind them in line and they were like, no, it really is me. And they're like, well, there's a space here that isn't in your, you know, this says, looks like it's your middle initial. And they were like, no, it's my actual name. Look, 
here's my book with my picture on the back of it. Here's my <laughs> booth with my picture on the booth. Can I please have my pass? And they're like, I don't know. It doesn't match. It's got to match. <laughs> right? Uh, so you're not going to be able to sneak through with your old Hotmail address. Yeah, I guess Dan. not. Damn it. Right? <laughs> All right. So I'm so glad that you have returned. I'm glad also that we had varying experiences because um, that is what makes a rich world is these varied experiences. I'm also glad that I did attend Pemicon because it did give me an insight onto the other side of Showland. I've done San Diego Comic-Con enough times to know what I was missing and I hadn't done this one and it came all the way from another country to be in my city and so it felt like a good thing to do. And in the midst of a tumultuous time in my life, this was a good show, a good choice for me as a, uh, as a family man. But I did have a fair amount of FOMO, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's really just texting interesting things. Every yeah, <laughs> texting interesting <laughs> things. So I'm sure we will discuss uh, more vagaries of these things as subsequent e episodes come. Yeah, there's out. a couple things that I'd like to like spend a whole episode on, like things that came up with other artist friends that I think would. Yeah, be good we to were talk talking about. about a particularly good one there. Yeah, yeah. yesterday. Uh, so I look forward to that. If this is your very first episode of Super Pulp Science, what we usually talk about is how genre gets made, but we also dig down into the vagaries of how the creative life exists on top of that pyramid, that um, glacier of business and how it floats the seas. So join us for new episodes talking about how we make things as well as how we get them out into the world. I'm GMB Kamichuk, encouraging you to join the fight and make comics. Thank <laughs> you.